that. Let's let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's here so powerfully. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Lord, I pray a fresh anointing. Even as I preach tonight, a fresh anointing will be filled with your spirit. But Lord, I thank you for making this good fertile soil of our hearts and minds and lives, this, this time, every life, everyone represented. Make this good fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And your word goes out of my mouth as seeds of truth sown in a good fertile soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And um, I just bless this place to be fruitful. I bless the atmosphere to be the atmosphere of heaven. And uh, I bless every person to be good fertile soil right now and to have eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name. All right, I want to go ahead and get into the word. Um, if you would, go with me to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. That's what I'm going to preach on. The Bible says that Behold, I will send you the Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will turn and reconcile the hearts of the estranged fathers to the ungodly children and the hearts of the rebellious children to the piety of their fathers. A reconciliation produced by repentance of the ungodly, lest I come and smite the land with a curse and a ban of utter destruction. What I want to talk about really is the spirit of Elijah. Or Zach, you ready? You got both of them going? Everything's good to go? All right. So make sure I get all this. I want all, every recording going because this is something I really feel in my heart is so powerful and so, so important to preach on in these end times. All right. We know in the last days, and, I, and I've talked about this enough, you're familiar with different the spiritual warfare and things that's going to be going on in the end time. So one of the things that God is, is doing in the earth in the end times is he's releasing the spirit of Elijah. Now what the spirit of Elijah is, there's a, there's a specific anointing that has to do with the spirit of Elijah. And if, there's a, if the anointing, if the Holy Spirit is upon a church, with the spirit of Elijah, the way that Satan's kingdom will try to oppose that is by sending that Jezebel spirit to attack the church because that's the, that's the exact opposite of the spirit of Elijah. There's always going to be a clash there between the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of Jezebel. There's always going to be a major clash. The spirit of Elijah, the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit in Revelation 1-4, I believe it is, Revelation 1-4, calls the Holy Spirit, he calls him, calls the Holy Spirit the seven spirits of God. But there's not seven different Holy Spirits, there's just one. And seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. It's important that you know that. So when the Holy Spirit comes in his fullness, all seven attributes 
Just like the lampstand has seven branches, the lampstand has seven lights on the top, but it's one lampstand. When the Holy Spirit comes in his full revelation, he's going to come as the spirit of Elijah. And what the spirit of Elijah is, is when the Holy Spirit is releasing, listen to this. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, talks about the spirit of the Lord, number one, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, then knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit begins to come in a way that he is releasing all of that, he's coming in his fullness and he's coming as the spirit of Elijah. Now, the spirit of Elijah, the anointing, the fire of Elijah, I believe is what people refer to when they're talking about a revival anointing. Because you can tell the difference. When you're around even anointed places, you can tell a difference between uh, the anointing on certain ministries in certain places apart from that of a revival anointing. There's a different fire on revival. There's a different anointing on revival. And I believe that that is the spirit of Elijah, a burning fire. And that revival fire is that anointing. Now, another thing about the spirit of Elijah. See, the Bible says that first off, Elijah the prophet, who did he face in his day? He faced, obviously, Jezebel and that the worship of Baal. But after he was taken up in a fiery chariot, Elisha inherited the mantle. But it says that when John the Baptist came, he was the last Old Testament prophet. And he was out there looking a little bit like a wild man, you know, but he was preaching the word. And people came to him. Well, there was one revivalist that said that, uh, he said that I just set myself on fire and people come watch me burn. Well, that's what John the Baptist, he was, he was, a, he was a flame of fire and people came to watch him burn. But the Bible says about John the Baptist that the spirit of Elijah was on him. So the spirit of Elijah being on John the Baptist what did that do? It prepared the way of the Lord. The spirit of Elijah also prepares for Christ's coming. Now, when that began to be released into this ministry was in 2008. Somebody that's been, that was a spiritual father to me and to Sandy had come and preached here. And whenever, we, whenever he came, the Lord told me because he was a spiritual father, said, whenever he preaches here, I'm going to release the spirit of Elijah and it's not going to stop burning. And when he came and preached, we prayed and the spirit of Elijah came into this ministry from that day forward. It's just kept increasing. But the spirit of Elijah will prepare for Christ's coming. So he came in the days of John the Baptist because Christ was coming the first time. But he's coming again in these last days on the church to prepare for Christ's second coming. Now, let me explain a little bit more about the spirit of Elijah. So the spirit of Elijah also is a fiery, burning fire that will deal with sin. How did John the Baptist preach? He preached against sin. And what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to silence voices that are preaching against sin in these end times. And I'm going to get into that. But those that will allow the spirit of Elijah to come on them 
They're going to preach against sin, and that fire is going to burn out all the sin out of people's lives, and people are going to start living holy. Because the Bible says Jesus is going to come for a bride that's without spot or blemish, and that does have to do with sin being out of their life. I don't believe Jesus is coming for just everybody. There are going to be people that are going to be standing there freaked out because they missed the rapture. They, they played games. They played church. They wanted to live in sin. They wanted to joke around. And next thing you know, they're stuck having to go through some stuff because of it. But the spirit of Elijah is also a very prophetic anointing. And there's also, in regards to a spirit of Elijah, there's a generational transfer. This spirit of Elijah seems to strongly pass from spiritual parents to spiritual children. Is this helping you guys? It's all quiet for two reasons. One, people are drunk in the glory. But number two, because... Um, People are soaking this in. I can feel it. That's good. Normally, you guys shout me down a little more, but that's okay. I'm, I'm secure about it. All right. But anyway, <laughs> I'm okay. But the spirit of Elijah is extremely important in these end times because we need that fire. We need that mantle on us to be able to do what God's called us to do. And we're going to face dark forces in these end times. And that, spirit, that burning, fiery spirit of Elijah consuming our lives is going to give us the grace and the boldness to, to be a voice in these end times. What did it say about John the Baptist? He was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And I'm telling you, in these end times, God is going to make his bride, the spirit of Elijah is going to come upon us, and there's a difference between the bride and the body. Okay, the bride is the remnant the ones that are on fire, the ones that are sold out and real, okay? But the spirit of Elijah is going to come on the bride, and once again, we are going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Some will listen and some won't. How did John the Baptist die? Head cut off. It's interesting because in Revelation, it seems to indicate that there would be people, you know, decapitated, that their heads cut off because of what they believe. In the end times. All right, so let me get through this. I, I want to get down to that, that bumper sticker I put there because things in the world are moving a certain direction. And I'm trying to be a voice crying in the wilderness, so to speak, just like there's many others doing it. But I'm trying to be a voice that is helping people to stay separate and apart from the world consecrated unto God, and sold out. And one of the things I want to say again is that I've already crossed, there's been prophecies and promises. God has already brought me as the pastor through first, brought me through the Jordan. I'm on the other side. But now it's time to start bringing everybody else across, and there's, there's promises, there's prophecies that are about to be unfolded, things are going to start blossoming. There's things that we've been praying about for a while that we're right on the brink of seeing them happen. There's a harvest, there's an effective door. I believe the door is open, 
and, and we're heading right toward it. I've had some really prophetic experiences. I don't share a lot of things because, you know, by and large, I'm not talking about you, but I'm just saying by and large, I don't share a lot of things publicly because, you know, it's not well received. You know, and not, you're not supposed to share everything. Remember, I preached on this. You remember Joseph? All right, it's a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't share everything God gives you, okay? Gets you in a lot of trouble. But in these end times, the world is going a certain direction, and it really is it's strange to me because two reasons. I never thought I would see the things in my lifetime I'm seeing. I thought I was going to be a voice for the next generation and that they would see it, but I'm seeing it in my lifetime. I would have never thought in my lifetime I would see in America a president arise, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going to run him down or anything. I'm just saying that people look to him like some kind of a Messiah, and they called him that. Who would have ever thought in your lifetime you would see that in America? See, that Antichrist spirit, there's already something right now in the earth that is preparing the way for the rise of the Antichrist. And it's not that far off. That even in America, who has a Christian foundation and all of that, that there would be this widespread mentality of some kind of looking for some kind of savior, some kind of a messiah. And a president? You know, Rodney Howard Brown said, you know, how stupid can you be and still breathe? Amen? But the Antichrist will be a counterfeit Messiah. All right, so let me get into this. Number two on the list, love is releasing the truth, not tolerance. 2 Timothy 4.3 says that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. We're living in a day right now where there's people that don't want to hear the truth. And they'll gather unto themselves teachers to tell them what they want to hear. Somebody decides, and I'm just going to go all over the place with this, okay, but somebody decides, you know, they're gay or whatever. And so instead of somebody trying to tell them the truth and love, they don't want to hear that, they'll go to a church somewhere where some preacher will tell them it's okay to be gay. You can still go to heaven. And they'll believe that, and they gather unto themselves teachers that are telling them what they want to hear. But you know what? That person, if they don't repent, they're going to be bobbing up and down in a lake of fire one day, and they're going to be cussing that preacher. They're going to hate him with everything in them. They may get mad at people like me now, but I'm still telling them the truth. I love them enough to tell them the truth. If I didn't love them, then my attitude would be like, well, go to hell. Who cares? That would be somebody's attitude that don't care about them. It's like, who cares about you, man? You want to live like whatever. But when you love somebody, you love them enough to say, wait a second, man. You know, the Bible says this. I'm just trying to help you. You know, you don't want to continue down that road. It's a, it's a bad road. But see, people don't, they, they want, they call love tolerance. And this is where I'm going with this whole thing. Because I'm running into this more and more and more. Where people are trying to present Christianity as being a hateful 
religion. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. But anyway, they want to present it as being hateful because true Christianity is intolerant. And we are intolerant. There's only one way to God. His name is Jesus. There's no other tolerance. There's no other road. We believe the Bible is the only inspired word of God. There's not another book. There's not. I believe the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can wash away your sins. That's it. There's not another blood. There's not another name. It's Jesus. And that is very intolerant. And the world is looking right now for people that will arise and will try to be very tolerant. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to preach the truth. We don't want anybody mad at us. And they present that tolerance as being love. That's not love. It's selfish. Because, you know, how selfish can somebody be when they know, well, if I, t- if I say the truth, they're going to hate me, so I'm not going to say the truth. How is that love? So let's look at biblical love. Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down your life for somebody else. The agape love in the Bible, the Greek is agape, is a sacrificial love. So true biblical love, true agape love is sacrificial, meaning that I'm willing for that person to hate me. I'm willing for them to cuss me out. I'm willing for them to spit on me or whatever, but I'm still going to love them enough to tell them the truth and try to keep them from going to hell. Amen. Don't make me amen myself like that one preacher did because that was good, all right? But true love, true biblical love will call people to repentance because we care about them. I'm sure there were some people that went out to see John the Baptist and there he was, you know, telling it like it is. I'm sure some were like, man, that guy's rough. But you know what? When they got down in that water and got baptized and then they accepted Christ, they were like, thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you. One of these days we're going to meet John the Baptist, there's going to be a big line of people thanking him. Because if it wasn't for his ministry, they would have missed the Messiah. And they'd be in hell today. So do we love people enough to tell them the truth? How many times have I heard over and over when you're out street witnessing, you're not supposed to judge, man, don't judge me. You're judging me. How many times have I heard stuff like that and it's like, I'm not judging you, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. See, ju- that's not what the Bible's even talking about. The Bible's not, that's not the judging thing, okay? The Bible, when it talks about don't judge your brother, it's talking about, you know, you look over at somebody and you, you see something outward about them and you start making all these judgments about them being critical of them. You're not supposed to do that. You don't know their heart. Amen? That's what it's talking about. It's not in street evangelism where you're trying to help somebody go, look, you know, the Bible says this. I'm trying to help you. You've got to accept Jesus. Yada, yada, yada. You're judging me. <laughs> you know what that is? That's a little cop-out where they take little teachings Jesus taught. They don't even know him. They don't even know what he was talking about. They got that little weapon that they can use because they don't want to change. And they'll keep putting that out there to get in. And you know what? People also, they, they, whenever you try to tell people the truth, they're like, it's intolerant, okay? So they're like, you know, it's so hateful. 
Why don't you just love everybody? So in other words, your definition of love is, I should just say everybody's going to heaven. God loves everybody. We're just all God's little children. The Buddhists, the Muslims, we're just all God's children. We're all going to heaven when we do. Every road leads to God. That's what they want you to do. And whenever you say, no, that's not how it works, either you're going to come through Jesus or no other way. You're so hateful. Oh, your God is a hateful God. It's like, give me a break. Amen. You guys know you're laughing because you know I'm telling you the truth. And not only that, you, you've seen it. You don't have to do street evangelism very long to run into this. It's not the third person you talk to. You know, you're judging me, man. Or, you know, your God is all hateful. Yeah, hateful God. Yeah, yeah so hateful that he sent his son to die for you. I mean, what did Buddha ever do for you? He didn't do nothing for you. What did Muhammad and all them do? You know what they did? They killed people that didn't. They don't care nothing. You know, it's, it's the, you're talking about a religion of hate. They're still killing people. And they always bring up stuff from the Catholic Church. And it's like, listen, I'm not going to go back thousands of years looking at the, the screw-ups of the Catholic Church and different things. I'm not Catholic, so get off me. But anyway, it's like, <laughs> it's not about all that. It's about you. One day you are going to die, and you're going to stand before a holy God. And you're going to have to give an account for your life. And you're not going to be able to be saying, oh, well, so-and-so was like this, and well, so-and-so did this, and... And, and blaming everybody else. What's it going to be like on Judgment Day for some people to stand before those eyes of fire and they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe I was, I was sinful and wrong and I, I rejected Christ, but so did they. What does it matter on that day? So did all these other people do things? All that's going to matter is, is your life. What did you do with Jesus? And it's crept into the church. This is something I want to get into. It's crept into the church because now people have that same mentality. I've seen people in the church. I've personally dealt with people, personally dealt with people not that long ago, that it was like this intolerant. They, they wanted me to tolerate sin in their life. And whenever I was like, no, that's not right. The Bible says this. Your life is this. They're not it's not right. And then it's like, you're so hateful and unloving. and nah, 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 nah. Look, if you tolerate sin in the camp, there's so many problems with that. You know, I've heard the saying, you don't want a Jonah on your boat. You guys ever read that story? Everybody would have died as long as Jonah was on the boat. Sometimes God's got to get some unrepentant person out of the camp. What about Joshua with Achan? You don't want an Achan in your camp. You go to war, lose battles because there's some sin in the camp. What about the New Testament where the Apostle Paul dealt with sexual immorality in the church? 2 Corinthians 5, I believe it was, or 1 Corinthians 5. He said there was somebody that was, that was having sex and they weren't supposed to be doing that. It was with a step-parent or something. And, and he said, look, you get them out. Get them out of the church. That's what he said. Get them out. Because as long as that sin was in the camp, Paul said that little bit of yeast would have worked through the whole batch of dough. It would have affected everybody. But some preachers, and, I, and I'm a preacher so I can say this, some of them are too cowardly to do it. And you know what they're doing? They're, listen, when you tolerate 
sexual perversions in a church and you know about it, you don't deal with it. You're allowing, you give legal permission for sexually unclean spirits to start trafficking in that church. When you tolerate things in the camp and you know about it, you're a leader and you're too cowardly to deal with it, you're letting stuff in that church. People call intolerance hate. But you know what? When Jesus came, he never tolerated sin. He loved people, but he never tolerated sin. Remember the times he told the man that was healed at the pool of Bethsaida or whatever? He healed, the guy was healed, and he saw the guy later in the temple, and he said, go and sin no more. Least something worse come on you. So he told him. Isn't that so intolerant? That's just so unloving. How could he do that? And whenever the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, well, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I've done this. He said, sell everything you got. That's so mean. So unloving. It's not unloving. Jesus was just trying to deal with the stuff in people. You hear what I'm saying? He loved people enough to tell them the truth. You ought to read the way Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. And I really felt, and I, I'm just saying this prophetically as I've been with the Lord, but things that the enemy's been doing in the past to attack is not going to work in, in the future. And what I feel in my heart is I feel like the, the coming warfare will be more in the area of religious people than it will be in anything we've known before. So there's other things the enemy wanted to shut down revival, but it just keeps increasing. Yes, I mean, Satan's defeated. Greater is he that's in us, amen? And so we just keep going along. It keeps increasing. And all the old stuff we've dealt with, you know, it's under the blood. It's gone. It's gone. Whatever people have faced and dealt with, whatever it is, it's under the blood. It's gone. And the enemy is not going to be able to attack in those areas in the future. But I feel that it will come more from the religious community. And so you need to set within yourself that whenever Pharisees out there, religious people are throwing stones at the church, the preacher, whatever else, that's nothing new, but don't let it affect you. Because religious people do not like the move of the Holy Ghost. They do not like what's going on here, I'm telling you. And Anthony, I wish he was here to, you know, I'd probably give him the mic right now, he'd tell you, because he goes all over the place, and, and he's like, people's mentality, they're like, here's a religious person, they'll be in a service like this, well, why, why is she falling down? I don't get it. Why, why is that person laughing? Nothing's funny. They're so emotional. What? They're jumping in. What? You know, I don't know about that. You know, and it's just everything is just so critical. It's like, you know, I love what Steve Hill said during the Brownsville Revival. He said, you know what the definition of a radical is? Somebody that's closer to Jesus than you. Somebody sits back there and they're like, oh, they're radical. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of love to tell people the truth, knowing how you're going to be treated afterwards. Let me say, there's no salvation apart from repentance. 
it grieves me because the, the very foundation of American Christianity, a lot of it's built on sand. Come down, say some little prayer, some little magical prayer, and abracadabra, you go to heaven. You get your little card. Where's that in the Bible? You never see Jesus ever doing that. Like, just bow your head, say this whole prayer. But you know, what you, what you see Jesus doing is he says, leave everything, come follow me. That was what Jesus said. Christian, true Christianity is a radical thing. It's in everything or nothing. Uh, God has never accepted some nasty little sacrifice. He never has. When people in the Old Testament, they were supposed to bring a perfect lamb without spot or blemish to be a sacrifice. When they brought their old, nasty, crippled, blind sheep to the temple and they sacrificed it, God never received that. He never accepted it. He's always wanted the whole thing or nothing at all. He wants all of you or nothing. God has never tolerated this holding hands with the devil, holding hands with Jesus business that a lot of people want to do. And it really grieves me in this area because there's people that they want to go to church and call themselves a Christian, but the life they live outside of church is nothing like a Christian. And here they are in this weird made-believe netherworld that some preacher created because he told them, hey, you, you said the little prayer. If they were really, truly, truly born again, they couldn't live like that. Because the Spirit of God within them, they would be so smitten in their conscience, they couldn't live with themselves. They would repent. And not only that, but I can prove it in the Bible, 1 John 3, 7 through 9, says that God's seed lives within you, and you cannot continue to sin because his seed is in you. So what's happening is, is people are producing false converts, and because the Holy Spirit is not at work to convict people and change people, then they've got to dumb everything down. Have you ever noticed in the school system, I think people are graduating now with what would have been an eighth grade education in my dad's day, and I'm not trying to be mean, but it's just they keep dumbing things down because the school system decided we don't want Jesus, we don't want the Bible, and they've let the devil in, and now there's so much turmoil that people can't even learn. There's so much lust, and there's so much rebellion, and they, they, God's blessing is no longer there. See, there was a time when they would open school with prayer, and they would read the Bible, and God's blessing was on the educational system to some extent. And people were learning, and now it's like they've dumbed everything down. Well, the same thing in the church. Because the Holy Spirit is not allowed to move, they don't. He can do what He wants to do, but He's not going to move where He's rejected. Okay, and so they don't want Him, they don't want Him around, they don't want His gifts, and so the same Holy Spirit that's supposed to be convicting the world of sin, supposed to be leading people in all truth, supposed to be changing people, He is not allowed to be at work, and so they've got these false converts, no Holy Spirit at work. So what do you do? They dumb everything down to fit their life. Would you say a little prayer? You're good, you know, and we'll just, what we'll do is we'll just preach what makes everybody happy. I think there's some people that go to church that are so clueless that one of these days they're going to be in hell and they're going to be thinking, how in the world could this have possibly happened to me? They're completely oblivious to the truth of God's word. They don't have a clue. 
And it goes back to cowardly people in the church, especially church leaders that won't tell them the truth because they want rear ends in the seat, they want big money in the church, and they want their reputation. Amen. Amen in myself, right? All right. I like that. <laughs> I have to use that. I got that from somewhere. Anyway, so I talked about scriptural love. There's going to be great deception in these end times. I remember one time I heard this. This uh, It was on YouTube, but you guys can look it up. It's called A Letter from Hell, and there was a friend that died and went to hell, and he, it was this make-believe letter he wrote to another friend of his who was a Christian, and he was, just, he was just reaming out his friend, why didn't you tell me? Why did you let me go to this place? And the whole time the friend was so worried about losing his friend and being rejected that he never would tell him the truth. So you have to ask yourself this question. Is it really truly love to tolerate sin let things go on in the church that are an abomination to God. Refuse to tell people you work with, you see, you know, refuse to tell them the truth. Just let them go to hell. Is really, truly, is that really love? It seems to me like it's just selfish because you don't want to be rejected. Listen, Jesus said clearly, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He said, no servant is greater than his master. And no student greater than his teacher. If they did these things to me, they will do it to you. So the more you are like Jesus, the more you're going to deal with some of that persecution. But in these last days, people will call good evil and call evil good. And this is where I kind of wanted to end right here was on this coexist. See, this is where the world is moving, and it, Earlier I mentioned this, I said that there was two things that really just, it blew me away because back years ago, like 10, 15 years ago, I used to preach about the end times and I preached that there would be some kind of a, a uniting of religions and I just felt it in my spirit, you know, but I felt that there would be some kind of uniting of religions that would be connected with the rise of the Antichrist. And now we're actually starting to see this. There's not a greater abomination to God than this here bumper sticker right here, you know. It's like they're trying to present that this is love. Why don't we just all get along? And here's the scary thing about it. I've heard about these meetings, ecumenical meetings, and I, and I use that term lightly because it, it brings together other religions as well. But it's these meetings where there'll be somebody that represents Christianity and they will be praying with. See, it's like a prayer meeting. Picture this. <laughs> I'm going to paint a picture for you here. All right. You've got a podium and you've got this so-called world peace. Let's all get along. God loves everybody thing, okay? So everybody's coming in and you've got this guy coming up in his robe and he's, he's a Buddhist monk and here he comes, you know. And he's, he's praying to the universal God. And then he goes and sits down. Then you've got some, some uh, Hindu, Sheik, coming up. He's got his turban on. Here he comes, you know. And he's praying to the universal God. And then, you, then he goes and sits down. Then you've got somebody else coming up. And on and on it goes. And then you've got this person that's supposed to represent Christianity, represent Jesus, come up 
we are all God's children and God loves us all and we're all going to the same, you know, cloud in the sky. And it's like they're, they're, it's so blasphemous. But listen, that is actually going on right now in our time. There, there's a move about all these different religions coming together. And the weirdest thing recently, this last year, was the rise of Chrislam, which has got to be the goofiest thing I've ever heard. They're trying to, picture going to church, and you got some cowardly preacher that won't tell you the truth. That, that, that right there, you know. Anyway, and then you've got the Quran in your little pew, and you've got it right next to the Bible. You know, I've got one of those long lighters to light my gas grill, you know. <laughs> anyway, I would, be, I would be the guy in church, and they'd be like, where's that smoke coming from? I'd be back there lighting the Quran, looking around. And that, that right there will stir up the wrath of those Islamic people. But, you know, I don't care. They, they're worshiping a false god. All right. But if you're going to be like the real Jesus, you've got to understand the kindness and the sternness of God. And this coexist thing, you'll see right there, if you look at it, you see Islam, then you see witchcraft with the pentagram, then you see science represented, that's like the atheist crowd, <laughs> they're easy to get along with, and then you've got the Jewish people that are non-Christian, Jewish people, then you've got the I, you've got the Hindu reincarnation wheel, and then you've got Asia, you've got like the Buddhist, and then right there you've got what represents Christianity. And the further we go along in the end times, the more people are going to move toward this. And what they're going to do is, is they're going to create, listen, they're going to create some hybrid, weird form of Christianity that is not true Christianity. And the world will accept that counterfeit. And don't be surprised if the Catholic Church isn't extremely connected with that. But anyway... But the true Christians are going to increasingly look like some kind of weird, radical sect that is a bunch of haters. They're intolerant to our world peace. They, they you can't get along with them because it's either their way or no way. And they're going to, they're going to look at Christianity like that. And eventually, before Jesus comes, Christianity will become illegal in among the nations, and it will actually be illegal to be a Christian. And the church will go underground and meet in secret. But I'm going with Jesus. If that means I go underground in a cave somewhere, you know, hey, that's where I'm going. And things are moving that way. I do believe, though, because there's because of this one reason, because there's been so much prayer. I do believe there's another great awakening sweep in America. And that's going to push that back in America for some time. But eventually, the world is going to become more and more anti-Christ. And that means anti-Christian. You know, and it ticks me off. 
because you try to talk about the Antichrist spirit. It's common sense that the Antichrist spirit is anti-Bible, anti-Christianity. And when you look at things like, for example, the school system, you see that we don't want Christ, we don't want Jesus' name mentioned. We don't want the Bible in here. They'll accept other religions. We don't want any of that. And, we'll, and then you say, well, that's anti-Christ. You're like, oh, that's not anti-Christ. What, well, what is it? Oh, we don't want Jesus. We don't want the Bible. We don't want God, but it's not anti-Christ. I mean, how blind can you be? So the educational system, science, everything, I mean, you can see in the political arena, you know, I pray for them, I bless them, but there's such a wishy-washy thing going, you know. It's, with them, it's just lick your finger, stick in the air, whatever everybody wants, that's what I'll be today. All right, I'm going to close with this. Is this helping you guys? Somebody needs to be, and I, I'm certainly not alone. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, okay? But somebody's got to be a voice crying in the wilderness. Somebody needs to be baptized in fire. Somebody needs the spirit of Elijah. Somebody's got to be like a John the Baptist. And let me warn you guys, too. I'm, I'm going to get to this. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but stay humble. Be careful for spiritual pride. You know, we know what pride is for the most part. Be careful of pride, but watch out for spiritual pride. The spiritual pride is when you start taking pride in what God's doing in your life. If it wasn't for God's grace, how many knows we don't, it's, we don't deserve anything but hell. That's all we deserve. So anything beyond hell is just the grace of God. So anything that he's doing in your life, if he's drawing you close to him, if your prayer life is awesome, whatever it is, it's just his grace and his mercy. We don't deserve it. So don't start getting this attitude like, well, you know, look at me. It's because God's moving in your life. Because if you keep that attitude, eventually God's going to pull the rug out from under you. And you're going to go on your face. And then you, he's going to humble you. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would be just as lost as these people. But Jesus, you know, Jesus was nothing like the way some people present him. And he was nothing like a lot of the, the church leaders out there right, that are right now that are uh, real wishy-washy. So he wasn't like that. Jesus, he said, I do what I see my father doing. I speak what I hear him speaking. And that's it. It didn't matter to him. If you loved him or hated him, he was going to do what the Father said do. He was going to say what the Father said to say. And it didn't matter if you hated it, if you wanted to murder him, or if you loved him, he was still going to preach the truth. That's Jesus. And right now there's a rise in Christianity of this fad. And I pray to God it's a passing fad. But this fad of just like, be friends with everybody and just don't offend anybody. Just be, you know, listen, that's not going to get people to heaven. And I don't know where people get some of the weird stuff they say. Let me encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. Because you hear some stuff sometimes and it sounds so good. Oh, it sounds so spiritual. And, but when you read the Bible, you're going, that is so off. That is not in the Bible. 
at all. But it sounds so good. Isn't it like the devil to do that, to be so crafty and deceptive? But one of the things right now is a really strong move toward being friends with the world, if you will, like being friends with love. And I've heard this, and people have tried to get me to, but see, here's the mistake. They forget I read the Bible. I read it. I know what it says. So they can say whatever. But they're trying to get people to, uh, it's a weird thing. But so let me give you some advice. When you look at Jesus, who did he spend his time with? The 12 disciples. Amen. That's who he spent his time with. Outside of that, he would spend some time with the 70 and those that followed him. And he might spend a day. Everybody say a day. He might spend a day or two with some t tax collector, sinner, Pharisee, somebody that was just completely lost, and like he went to Zacchaeus' house. He may go and eat a meal with them and talk to them. But he wasn't their best buddy and hung out with them 24-7. Where do they get this stuff? And let me tell you, if you're really like Jesus, you're going to love them enough to tell them the truth and then if they're not going to change, they're not going to want to remain your friend. You can love them and be nice to them, but they, for some weird reason, won't want to hang out with you anymore. And so some of these preachers that are always saying that they got all these really close friends that are, that are, that are homosexuals and this, that, and the other, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with loving people and being friends with them, but if you love them enough to tell them the truth, they're not going to remain your friend unless they're going to repent. Are you hear what I'm saying? And what it is is that they're not telling them the truth. They're just their buddy. Okay, so herein lies the problem with that. When you're doing that, you're kind of sending a message that it's okay. It's okay to be like you are. But you see what I'm saying? If me as a preacher was just buddy-buddy with somebody and I never told them the truth, I was just buddy-buddy with them all the time, I'm basically sending a message to them that you're okay like you are. And the sad truth is, is that they may like me, but they're going to spend eternity in hell one day, and when they get there, they're going to hate me. This is popular, isn't it? So Jesus, think about Jesus in John chapter 6. This is, this is Jesus. In John chapter 6, they brought to him an adulterous woman. Under the law of Moses, she is supposed to be stoned and killed on the spot. And they were testing Jesus. And so they brought her, and they said, what are we going to do with this woman? And Jesus bends down. He doesn't say that they're wrong, but he bends down and starts writing in the sand. You know, and I know, he was writing their sins on that, in that dirt. It doesn't say it in the Bible, but he was. He was writing all their sins in that dirt. And he said, okay, the person with the first sin, throw the stone. Or the person without sin, throw the first stone, and nobody would do it. And so here's, here's Jesus. When somebody was humble and broken and repentant, like that woman was, there's grace. Does everybody get this? Okay. Then just a couple chapters later in John chapter 8, Jesus had fed the 5,000. See, it's 5,000 people. Now, I'm going to take you on a line of thinking here. A lot of preachers that have, say, 5,000 people, have a mentality of just make everybody happy, right? So Jesus leaves the 5,000, and he crosses over in a boat 
and they all have to come find him. Read this for yourself. This is John chapter 6, I'm sorry. And Jesus rebukes them because he says, you're only following me because I gave you food. Now, why would he do that? Because he was telling them the truth. But most people would say, well, you got that many people, don't offend them, just make everybody happy, just tell them what they want to hear. Jesus said, you're only following me because I gave you food. And so then he goes on to say something. How many knows Jesus is God, therefore he knows how they're going to respond? So Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. He deliberately says something he knows is going to offend and get them upset. The Bible says that they all left. And John 6, 66 says that as they all departed, Jesus turned and looked at his 12 and said, are you going to leave too? And if they would have said, yep, we're out of here, Jesus would have turned. He would have never, ever compromised the word of God to get them back. He would have went off and picked 12 others. That's the real Jesus. When somebody's humble and broken, he extends grace to them. That woman should have been stoned according to the law of Moses. But he extended mercy and grace to her. But yet when people had come to him with the wrong motives, he told them the truth and they all forsook him. Now that is in stark contrast to the way a lot of churches are being run right now. The whole mentality is just get basic marketing, just give people what they want and they'll come. Well, the problem with that is is that people are not doing it the way Jesus did. And not only that, they are compromising the word of God to make people happy. Jesus would have never compromised the word of God. You can see it in his life because they wanted to kill him over and over because he would not compromise the word of God. You should, you should really read the book of John. And as a matter of fact, I have, I have a movie. It's word for word. But Jesus, I mean, there was a time that he was out there preaching, and there was people that wanted to stone him. And right there in front of everybody, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they bum-rushed him with rocks trying to kill him. Now, him being God, he knew that was about to happen. So why didn't he get up there and go, I was going to say something, but now I'm not, and walk off? Because he would not compromise the word of God to be accepted by people. And they hated him and wanted to kill him for it. But Matthew 12, 20 says that a bruised reed, the Lord will not break. There's some people that come to Jesus when you're out street witnessing or whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. You run into somebody that they're just broken. They're really humble, and they're broken, and they're like, man, I'm a sinner, and they're just really humble. Listen, those are the type of people, it's just, it's time to just introduce them to Jesus, okay? They're ready. Jesus will not break a bruised reed, okay? They're bruised. But then there's other people. They're about as arrogant and cocky and prideful as you can imagine, and they got an attitude, and those are the type of people that's like, okay, well, you think you're such a good person. Let's look at the Bible, and they, you know, you start taking them through it, and they realize that they are a heathen, and they need a Savior, and you present the gospel a little bit different to them because they ha- they're not going to receive. You see what I'm saying? If you try to come to the arrogant and you try to present it the same way you would to a humble person, it's not going to work. That's how you get false converts. Are you guys hearing me? All right, so let me close this out with reading some of this. 
with a sweet spirit and a good heart, we are needing to not bite into every apple that's waved in front of us. Everybody get that? Biblical boundaries, biblical wisdom. So let me give you some things to think about. Number one, God wants us to not have a religious spirit about us that's critical, fault-finding, jealous, competitive, judgmental, or debating. This produces a counterfeit discernment that causes a lot of wounds and darkness. We need to see ourselves and others the way the Lord sees us. There's a lot of people with a religious spirit about them. They're very judgmental and critical. God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants to see people the way he sees them. Number two. I'm going to give you some things that just concern me that's out there. Is that okay? All right. The first thing is some kingdom teaching seems to be almost like an Illuminati, like an Illuminist and a Catholic type of mentality that you saw in the Crusades. The mentality is rooted in bad eschatology. I should have changed that. Eschatology is a teaching about the end time. So in other words, the mentality is rooted in a bad understanding about the end time. And because they don't have good understanding about the end times, they ignore the preparation, preparing the bride for the rapture and the marriage supper of the Lamb. But rather, they're producing a militant takeover type mentality. And there's some teaching I've heard, and the whole time I heard it, my spirit just it just did not set well with me at all. But the mentality was to get up in it and, and Christians should be striving to get up in the highest positions all over the world that we can and let your influence get through. And I understand what they're saying. I'm not saying that God will raise people up and put them in positions. But listen, when God calls somebody to be an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or something like that or, or whatever, there has been some huge mistakes that have been made by trying to take that and step into a secular role of being like a governor, a congressman, a president, and trying to use your spiritual authority. You see what I'm saying? That it'll never work. That's not how it works. And there's some weird teaching in the body of Christ right now about the end times that it's, it's almost like we're here to take over. And it's like, have you read Daniel and Revelation? Somebody needs to hear that, I guess, because I can feel it. But anyway, it's it, there's the mentality needs to be in the end times. We're going to see revival. We're going to see a great harvest of souls. And Jesus is going to come back, and when he does, he is going to take over. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say that we are going to overthrow. It says he will overthrow. But there's some weird teaching right now in that area that, just, you know, there's so many different passing fads that come through. But it's not, it's not good biblical teaching. All right, the second thing, healings, signs and wonders and all that, they prepare the way for the gospel. But how many knows people can go to hell having been touched by God? Just because somebody gets healed does not mean they're going to heaven. What means they're going to heaven is that they've been born again. So if you go up and you pray for somebody's healing, they're healed, and you're, 
Woo-hoo, happy, happy, and they're jumping up down, and then you walk off and never share the gospel with them. They could still go to hell. And it concerns me right now because the mentality, yes, we've got to love people, and, and, and healing flows through love. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. You can go up to somebody and you could, there'll be some major sign, wonder, healing, deliverance, whatever. That does not mean that they're automatically going to heaven. Oh, well, I'll just pray with them and just leave them. God loves them. We just all just love them. Well, if you love them, tell them the gospel. Tell them Jesus died for their sin. Tell them that his blood is the only thing that can wash away their sin. Tell them that there's no other name under heaven whereby they can be saved except Jesus. And they've got to turn from their sin. If you love them, tell them the truth. And when you, whenever you see a healing or something, that's going to open up the door for the gospel. Is this helping you? The next thing is prophets and prophetic circles. I love the prophetic ministry as long as it's real. But I don't buy into every person that calls themselves a prophet. You know, to me, a true prophetic person... When they prophesy, it's true. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. It's true. You know, if they've got a, a, a record of just being off all the time, they're not true prophets of God, okay? They may have a gifting, but something's off somewhere, and they need to get it fixed. And they need to quit calling themselves a prophet till they get it fixed. Everybody get that. All right. So prophetic and prophetic circles, those always are having some prophetic thing. Listen. People that are always having some prophetic experience, something is probably not really flowing with God. I've met people over the years that if you listen to them, they, they think that they're more spiritual than Jesus. They think they're more spiritual than every person in the whole Bible. They're always having something prophetic happen, always. Everything has significance with them. It's, a, you know, the, the pencil was laying sideways, so there's a prophetic, you know, this was that, and it, yeah, the sun, the sun was this, and the, there was a cloud, and, and it's just everything spiritual. But listen, they're probably not moving with God. Some even high-profile prophetic ministries only hit things about 50% of the time. I'm not trying to be mean. But listen, man, any person that is only getting it right about half the time, they need to get back alone with Jesus and figure it out. I'm just saying. People can get mad about that. I don't really care. That's, that's off. Because you don't read about in the Bible where people prophesied and it was like half the time they were right. I'm talking New Testament. New Testament prophets. Well, they, they were only right about half the time. Paul, when he would prophesy, he'd get it half the time. You don't read about that. Now, I'm not saying that we all of us miss things at times. At, you know, at some time. Some of us will miss something every once in a while. I'm not talking about that. But I do believe that there's a warning in the end times. You need to hear from God for yourself and not depend on prophets. You hear what I'm saying? But don't, don't belittle the prophetic ministry. It's funny because I can feel sometimes the resistance. But I'm right. I mean, people can get offended. I'm right. We need If, if somebody's really a true prophet of God, then they spend time with Jesus. And when Jesus says something, Jesus says something. All right. All right. And see, sometimes what I've seen, though, is some people that have a prophetic ministry, it's like every time they get the mic, they have to prophesy. That's how you start getting all messed up. 
Why do you have to prophesy? Why are you going to make something up? You know, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, unless I really feel like God spoke to me about it. That's where they're missing it. Because, well, I have a prophetic reputation, so when they give me the mic, I must prophesy. And usually they'll prophesy generic things, you know. All right. Don't try to make it happen. If God gives you something as a prophetic person, he'll give you something. If he don't, he don't. I've had people come to me, and, and, and because I've been used some in the prophetic, I mean, you know, but so is a lot of people. But I've had people come to me and go, I want you to give me a word. And it's like, man, I can't just come up with that. If God gives me something, I'll tell you what he tells me. If he don't give me something, I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord and making something up. I'm not doing it. That was good. That, that deserved an amen. All right. And I'm not going to prophesy for money, and I'm not going to prophesy on demand, and I'm not going to have somebody like, well, you need to give me a word and put some guilt trip on me because I won't. It's like, man, I love you, but if you're a Christian, why don't you go pray about it and you hear from God? There's an idea. <laughs> All right. Also, some of the money preaching, I believe in, I believe in the prophetic ministry. I love the prophetic ministry. I love the prophetic ministry when it's real, but it gets on my nerves when it's not real. I believe in prosperity. I believe in the whole sowing, reaping thing. I do. But listen to me. There's some of the money-preaching circles that one day will be judged because they're misrepresenting Christ. I would hate one day to stand before the Lord and see an angry countenance as he looked on me and he said, you know, you told people I was saying this, and you not you and I know I never said that. There's people that will say, well, if you give this amount, God will do this. And listen, it's misrepresenting the Lord because it's using prophecy to manipulate people to get money. Which is witchcraft. Let's just call it what it is. And so they're using prophecy of, well, if you if if 70 people give $70 and God will give you $7,000 in seven weeks and 77 days and seven hours. It's like, okay, well, here's the thing about that. Look, I'm not saying that God can't do that because he might, you know, there may be a time. But I guarantee you that if you research that, there's not 7,000 people or whatever that got $7,000 in 77 days. So in other words, they're using false prophecy to manipulate people to get money out of them. And I, I, I love sowing and reaping, I love giving, but when people start moving into that manipulation witchcraft stuff, it's like my wallet couldn't close any tighter. It's like it, hell would freeze over. There would be escapades down below before you get my money because I'm not going to sow into witchcraft. <laughs> Some are saying that God is saying things when he's not. They're misrepresenting God for money. And some of the name it and um, name it, claim it type of circles tend to do that, but th not all of it's bad. Sometimes they're hearing from God about it. But some of it is tainted with materialism and greed. If you have true faith, you won't have to manipulate people for money. And listen, some of these ministries that are doing it, they have money. You know, they've, they've got a lot of people that are giving into their ministry. And I personally refuse to do that, and I just believe God to meet the needs, and he's always met the needs, and he's always met the needs above and beyond without me having to manipulate people. 
and I'm just not going to do it. And I remember, you know, I forgot about this, but I remembered just now. I heard one time John Kilpatrick say, they asked him, well, why don't you ever go on some of these telethons and different things and preach because you've been invited. And he said, because something stinks about it, something smells bad. Because he's not going to get up there and misrepresent God and, and try to manipulate everybody. <coughs> amen. That deserves a big amen. And I honor and respect him for that. All right. Another thing is some revival circles. I love revival. Listen, I, these things I'm talking about here, I love these things. I love the healing ministry. I love the prophetic ministry. I, I love pro- sowing and reaping and, and prosperity stuff. I love all that when it's real. But I hate the stinky counterfeits. I hate the religious counterfeits. Some revival revival circles have gotten unbalanced by focusing on emotion instead of Holy Spirit zeal. Some people have learned how to whip a crowd up in a frenzy and get them on some big emotional hype, but there's no real power in it. Sometimes manifestations are faked, and let me encourage you, don't fake manifestation if the holy spirit moves on you to laugh laugh if he moves on you to cry cry if he moves on you and you fall down you fall down but don't try to make it happen that's when people get goofy and flaky and it's not a good thing in so many ways whenever god touches you that way there may be times you just sit there just oh so quiet and solemn and just soaking in the lord and there may, may be another time you laugh your head off but let the lord do it is I've seen people, sometimes they'll have some awesome encounter with God. They fall on the ground, they're shaking for like 30 minutes, there's some major encounter, they, they saw Jesus, it's awesome. Then the next time you pray with them, they, they throw themselves on the ground, start shaking around and trying to, they're trying to make it happen again. And it's like, it's not going to work like that, you can't make it happen. Anyway. Another thing in in revival circles, some people are focusing more on angels and prophetic experiences instead of Jesus. Oh, there's angels here. The Bible says he encamps his angels around those who fear the Lord. They are here now. They are in this room. Great. I mean, I love them, and and I'm grateful that they're here, and they worship with us, but I'm not going to sit around spending all my time talking about them. This is about Jesus. And they've come here to glorify Jesus. True revival, true revival will bring holiness, repentance of sin, and a harvest of souls. Also, the works of Jesus that he did, he will be doing it again. True revival, you will see what Jesus did on the earth, you'll see him doing it again but he will be calling people to repentance and holiness. Is everybody getting this? I'm concerned about the dangers of the free-for-all. Sometimes I see if everybody can lay hands on everybody. Bad idea in so many ways. I don't have time to do a teaching on it, but there needs to be the healthy balance there of knowing people that's going to be laying hands on everybody. Another thing is never dealing, a lot of the revival circuits, I'm sorry, revival circles don't want to deal with inner healing and deliverance. And this is another one I'll never understand. Listen, whenever things get weird, there are some revival circles that have gotten off the path of life and have gone down a road. And 
it's it's gotten weird. I've seen people, you can see it on YouTube, and they're selling T-shirts, but Jesus, like, giving people the bird on the T-shirt. Um, whenever they talk about the Holy Spirit, and this is real, you can look it up. When they talk about the Holy Spirit, they're acting like they got this little little lamb they call the Lamb of God, and like they're smoking the Holy Spirit and, and shooting up the Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm not trying to be, like, critical about anything, but that's just weird. Jesus isn't flipping nobody off, okay? And that, listen, I, I remember showing that to Anthony one time. At Anthony. I showed him the T-shirt, man, and Anthony goes, Anthony goes, man, he says, that makes you wonder if those guys are getting into pearly gate type of stuff, you know? And he was like, that's kind of scary. But listen, the Holy Spirit is not a drug that you can just shoot up anytime. He's not. He's God Almighty, and he's going to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I'm not in control of him. I don't tote him around and, and smoke on him. Like, you know, I can control when, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can control when he's going to go into my lungs. And, you know, you know, listen, you know it's not God whenever you're in control completely. Like, I am now shooting him up. <sighs> it's like, no. Just saying. I'm not trying to be critical and mean because, listen, let me say this for the record for those watching. I believe that some of those people love the Lord and that they're really sincere, okay? I'm not, I'm not being mean about them because I believe that they do love the Lord, and I love them. But I am saying that it's weird, and they need to come back to the path of life. Amen. Somebody needs to say something. Some, some shepherd needs to get out his rod and be like, you need to back over here. <laughs> Amen. All right. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to say. And another thing in American circles. <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being like dead serious. I'm not trying to be funny. <laughs> all right. Let me finish real quick. Okay, some of the things I see also in the American circles is they, they present diet and exercise like some kind of idol, and they present Jesus as being healthy because, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like Jesus, I'm trying not to laugh. It's like Jesus was healthy because he did so much exercise. It's like, listen, I know, I know Jesus walked where he went, okay? We all know that. And I know that, you know, he ate whatever they ate back then. But, man, that's not what made Jesus healthy. What made Jesus physically healthy was he was sinless, son of God, full of faith, okay, full of the Holy Ghost. And um, they present that. I'm serious. There's some just some weird stuff. And, and you, you give people, they, they go down a road of thinking, and if somebody doesn't come in and say, wait a second, they end up down that road, and they just keep going down that road and down that road, and pretty soon they're way off out there. And they're writing books about it, and people are reading it. And I mean, the way they present Jesus was like he was at the gym all the time, pumping iron and stuff, and like <laughs> lifting the curls. And all right. But if you look at the roots of medicine and science, here's the concern. Faith, faith is being diminished and replaced with humanism. Derek Prince says, 
that the rise of the Antichrist will be marked with humanism. Does everybody get what I'm saying? The rise of the Antichrist will be marked with humanism. And what humanism is, is when it's, when it's bringing science up. And it's bringing all this scientific stuff up, and it diminishes faith in Christ. Now, I'm just going to say this and move on, but when God created the nation of Israel, he showed us the way he wanted things to be. And he created a priesthood, and that priesthood, whenever people got sick or whatever, they would go to the priest, and the priest would walk them through getting cleansed and sanctified and holy and, and cleanse their home, and pretty soon they were healthy again. Or, and Jesus even said that the demons came out of people because of it, because he said this. He said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then who do your people drive them out? He was talking about the priest. So you can picture the priest in the Old Testament, somebody coming to him, and them saying, okay, we're going to do this sacrifice. We're going to shed the blood. We're going to sanctify, make you holy again. And all of a sudden, a demon shrieks and comes out of somebody once they're made holy. Are you following me? Or somebody's healed of leprosy or whatever. That's in the Bible. I can show you that in the Bible. That is the church. The problem isn't with the world. The world is going to grab for whatever it can grab for to fix their problems. The problem is the church should be a house of healing and deliverance for people that people could come to it, and when they experience the real, then they're like, I don't want the counterfeit anymore. That's a cheap substitute. This is the real. All right. Just trying to set some boundaries. I don't want to see people in River of Life, seriously, you know, smoking their little lamb. Just saying. <laughs> Love you. I don't, want to, I don't want to see it. All right. But one of the things that's concerning is, and, I, and again, let me just say, I'm not making fun to be mean and stuff like that. I'm just saying, man. Because it's, listen, when people come to church, it's already weird enough, the real. The real's already weird enough. Then why get weird and goofy beyond and freak everybody out, including Christians? All right. But the problem is American Christianity, traditions of men, and pet doctrines. That's, the, that's a major problem. Here's the last thing. Warnings. Make sure that you focus on Jesus and his power over the enemy and what he is doing. Make sure you're getting revelation by the Holy Spirit alone. If you're focused on Jesus and what he's doing and you're seeing how big Jesus is and your faith is in him, then you start seeing how little the enemy can be. But a lot of times people are focused on the devil and what he's doing and it's like it seems to amplify it. Does that make sense? If you focus on the enemy and you focus on what he's doing, he seems to keep growing and getting bigger. But whenever you don't focus on him and you focus on Jesus, he seems to keep getting smaller. Okay. Focus on Jesus and what he's doing, not what the enemy's doing. Guard against spiritual pride. Already mentioned that. Guard against grumbling and complaining. That will keep people out of promised land. People want life circumstances to change. I've been there. You go through difficult things in life, and you want Jesus change circumstances. And Jesus is up there looking at you going, no, I want to change you. That's why I put you in the circumstance. And then pretty soon you whine and complain, whine and complain, and you end, up, you end up getting out of that circumstance, and you end up in another circumstance you hate. And then you're going, what's the problem? I still haven't been able to change you. Once I change you, then everything else will change. 
But once you get all that out of you, then God will start changing circumstances. Because, listen, I picture Paul and Silas with this. They were beaten, and they were put in prison. Back then, getting a beat down by the prison guards was, I mean, it's not fun now, but I imagine back then it was really bad, okay? They left them bleeding, chained them up against the wall. They're in a, they're in a stinky prison, probably rats and roaches, chained to a wall. They've already been beaten, so they're bleeding and hurting. And what do they do? They praise God. Once they start praising God and being thankful, then after that, God shook the place and opened the gates and brought them out. And there was a great revival. But see, as long as if they would have sat in that prison and started whining and complaining, I guarantee you that place would have never shook. They would have been sitting there for a long time. All right. Don't allow the enemy's thoughts about you or others to be entertained. The devil's always going to put thoughts, try to put thoughts in people's heads that's negative about themselves and about others. Don't entertain those thoughts. Don't believe what the devil says about you. Believe what the Bible says about you. Everybody get that? Don't listen to what the devil says about you. Believe what the word of God says about you. I said all that just to put boundaries because I love I love things like the, the healing ministry right now that's going out on the streets and stuff. I love that. That's God. But they better be preaching the gospel because if I see them out there and they then somebody gets healed and then they walk off and leave them for the devil, I'm going to be mad. And I'm going to tell them, look, you, you prayed for them. They were healed. Why didn't you share Jesus with them? Why didn't you give them the gospel, eternal life? <clears throat> what good does it do that now their pain's gone from their knee if they're going to spend the eternity in a lake of fire? Yeah, that bothers me. And so I'm just trying to balance it out here. Let's get, you know, biblical balance. I love prophetic circles. And there's some real powerful prophetic ministries that are very accurate, very powerful. There's also some stuff that is so goofy and flaky and nutty and so far out there, you don't want to listen to. I love revival circles. You guys know I love revival. But there's some stuff that's way out there. And I want to keep it like biblical, you know. Let God move. I remember, you know, signs and wonders can be, you know, they can be pretty radical. And David Hogan was saying one time, I've never seen this. I would like to see it. I'm not sure I want it to happen to me. But he said he was praying for people. And they were getting hit by the power, thrown in the air, and stuck on the wall. <laughs> and so he said that he, said he was praying for all these people, and they're stuck on the wall. Man, see, that's just weird. I mean, I can see where people come in and go, oh, whoa, whoa, you know. But, but if it's God, it's God. It's a sign and a wonder, and there's a message in it somewhere. I mean, hey, you know. But what I don't like, what I don't like is when it gets when it gets weird and people start trying to make it something it's not. You know what I mean? Pretty soon they're trying to throw people up on the wall and you're gonna <laughs> stick and then they fall down and, and get hurt and 